Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. So welcome to Polycast episode 400. Ah. What? I know. I'm Makalua, here with my usual group of co-hosts, Canis Albinus. What on earth are we doing? I, I, I don't know. Me and team. I congratulate my fellow co-hosts on being maybe 40% of the way there. Uh, and Mega Bears fan. Hey, that's still less than like one-tenth of the hours I've put into the actual game. Uh, <laughs> I don't oh, even boy, want to think need... about the hours I've put into some games. Some of the earlier <laughs> episodes took much longer than a single hour. That's yeah, the, also, yeah, that's true, but even so. I'm glad Steam wasn't around for the first few sieves, so it wouldn't track how many hours I've spent, because if I look at the hours for five and six, that's bad enough. Uh, I've been tempted to just turn Civ 4 on on Steam and just let it run while I'm at work or something like that, just to inflate the numbers for it to make it look kind of like I used to play it a lot. Suddenly you're bringing, why is Civ 4 trending? Hmm. actually is a fun game if you haven't played it a lot previously you probably would enjoy it if you actually played it yeah well we're, we're getting slightly ahead in topics on that one yeah that's it's true. actually actually our initial topic is hey it's episode 400 what are we still doing here <laughs> i mean because as at least for me i can remember being on a Paulton and it's probably what year was that 2006 i said that earlier i think but and i had been in the diplo games for alpha centauri and I get this PM from this guy, Dan Q. It's like, hey, I'm trying to put together a podcast. Would you like to be a co-host on it? Kind of, you know, I mean, if I went, I, maybe I could dig up the old PM or something. But, you know, because he had approached me because I, it was partly because I was one of the few visible women on the website. Because this is still back in the day when you got rude comments for saying that you were a girl in the Internet, and especially in gaming areas. Hi. Much better now, but still bad. <laughs> yes, it could still be very bad sometimes. Guy in real life. Yeah, exactly. That thing, other things. I, but we did. He pulled. He also had pulled in Wouter and or Locutus, if you run uh, a Poulton back in the time. And the first few, we did a couple of test episodes, and I think Dan released part of those at some point. And you can hear how awkward we were. It was so bad. But these were te- I, these were labeled as the pilot one, two, and three, and they're still on the website. Oh, okay. It's kind of like with TV shows, the first like half dozen episodes are kind of not quite right before they get the flow correct. And it was the same thing with that. The first few, the first probably half dozen or maybe a little more episodes were still kind of awkward, but then we kind of got a flow with it and kept, and then we started bringing the guest co-host at some point because I don't know why he decided to do that or not, or he planned that from the beginning. I think what it was, was you and, uh, Locutus were gone for two episodes right at the very beginning. Not not oh. together, but it was just him and Inram together. And uh, with only two people, it was a lot more difficult to carry a conversation. 
Yeah, and, which is, is yeah that which two days. that eventually uh, got to the point where episode twelve there were twelve co-hosts. <laughs> and I know um, for later on, uh, one of the reasons that Dan liked getting the co-host was because it did bring different voices and perspectives. Because there would be things that people would bring up or or say that uh, you know the co-host wouldn't say or wouldn't think of that would you know add to the conversations and make them a little bit more interesting and varied. Yeah, and I. I I can't remember if Imran was with us for the first few episodes or that first couple of pilots. It's been so long because <laughs> we were trying to add up the seasons earlier before we started broadcasting and realized it was 16 seasons of so 16 years of this, so, which also in another way is like, what? It's like, it does not feel like I've been doing this this long, but actually, yes. <laughs> you haven't done any of the editing, though. That probably helps. That's true. It would probably feel like an eternity if I'd ever had to do much editing. Because I know, I know for Dan, back when he was doing his super high polished production, is like he spent way too much time doing that. I wouldn't be surprised if it gave him more than a few gray hairs. <laughs> I don't think so. I've met him. He doesn't really have gray hair. Oh, well, lucky him. Redhead or, advantage? He didn't before he got married. I don't know if he... <laughs> I was going to say, between Miley and the baby, he may have some gray hairs now. Yeah, yeah that, that will definitely do it. If nothing else does it, that will do it. Me, personally, I've had gray hair since high school, so... Man. I was born with gray hair. Like, that's unironically true. But yeah, I, I would imagine just the sheer fact that it was 16 years ago that uh, he started that, that... Uh... <laughs> that might be enough for some gray hairs on its own, to be fair. <laughs> I think that's making me sprout some new gray hairs just thinking about that. Holy crap. This is the internet. Things don't usually last this long. I think yeah. we are the longest running continuous podcast in uh, a gaming situation. We might be the longest for Oh most. my gosh. So we're like the Simpson, Simpsons of podcasts, you're saying? No, oh, we're not. Oh, but hopefully without the quality dip. <laughs> we're not that popular either. It's always funny to think about Imran in the podcast history, because technically we were co-hosts together for quite some time, but I think we only appeared on one or two shows together, like, at all. Yeah, we got to that point where he was having a lot of, he had to do real life things, and so Phil kept stepping in, and eventually sort of, now Phil's the permanent co-host. It's like, well, okay. This probably... No, I actually was the permanent co-host alongside well, yeah, Imran, but, but he mean... just never turned up. Because um, like, I replaced somebody else, uh, Carter Mandu, I believe. Oh, Carter Mandu, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she had replaced, we still have Wouter then. She replaced. Man, I should have looked at the history of co-hosts. So, like, I replaced Imran in spirit, but technically, I replaced Carter Mandua on spreadsheet somewhere too. Carter Mandua replaced Kmad. Who replaced? That's who I was. Because I was trying to. Yes, I I knew somebody else was in between, and I could not remember her name, and I feel so bad about not remembering Kmad of all people. It's like ah. I don't remember Kmad as a host, but I remember Kmad as a forum poster and player for sure. Yes, it wasn't a very long <laughs> tenure. No, because that's the thing with a lot of the podcasts is real life gets in the way, no matter what podcast or what topic you're talking about. You know, so the fact that we've had a pretty much continuous run for this long is like wow. I think we've all had periods where we were kind of having trouble keeping up. I know I did. Yeah. Well, case in point, this whole year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for for those who aren't listening to this later, if you ever decide to listen to this again, we have four episodes that haven't yet been released to the public in recorded form because real life has been getting in the way real heavy. So um, this episode is probably going to be a few weeks delayed. Our act, the actual date of recording is is uh, April 21st, 23rd. So you may not see this until mid-May. 
if we get our stuff together, but we're working on it. We gotta we're work trying on the website to catch too. Up. But it's also not just personal things. It's also been a series of technical issues too that just make things harder than they need to be. Yeah, I didn't even realize that last year when Flash was discontinued that it would wreck our website the way it did. So um, we can't play, we can't stream live from the website anymore. I don't think. Yeah, then we lost the music bot. Yeah, well, that let us run stuff during the show. Which makes the post-production and editing way harder than it was for the past couple of years, where we were actually doing it all on the fly in real time, yeah. uh, which you know was kind of awkward at the time we were recording, but going back and editing it was so much easier, because it was just a matter of cutting out the dead air. Although I do believe this was pointed out to me just two days ago, that there is another audio bot that works now, so oh. I may have to investigate that. Ooh, okay, well that's our homework for this week. Yep. We can have audio, yay! Yeah. As for my uh, tenure with the Polycast, I first appeared, I believe, on episode 151 as a caller-in. No, 152, because 151 was one of those not-another-lame-ones clip shows. And um, I was enthusiastic, and then for some reason I wrote a list of drinking game rules for Dan's, uh, or for Madjin's Turncast Live, and that's how I became known here. <laughs> and then Dan took chose me to take it over because apparently I listened to it more than anybody else, which I believe because for, I want to say five or six, no, four years when I was commuting to college every day for like two weeks or two semesters each year, I would listen to podcast back episodes just all the way from one to like 150 uh, over and over again because it was exactly the length of an episode was the, the trip. So... I just worked through them like 10 times each. And Dan was super meticulous about making sure that every episode was edited to be like within a minute or two of, I think it was an hour, right? The it was exactly episodes. one hour for everything mm -hmm. past season five. Yeah. Although those recordings, as mentioned earlier, took way more than an hour sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> they were edited down quite extensively. Well, that's how Dan always had the um, the video or the audio for... Uh, so many clip shows which we just don't do anymore because that's none of us have time to edit something like that yeah yeah it was really impressive dan, was, a dan was an impressive editor yeah i'd be curious to see some of his um like record keeping stuff because like i said he had spreadsheets for everything he knew what co-hosts were on what topics were talked about like just, just to be able to go back and put together those clip shows like knowing what you know what bits from which previous recordings did not get, you know, into the final episode and could be put into a clip show like that just takes a lot of organization. We did have a few times um, early in my days as the editor where we had a few topics that were postponed to a further episode. And uh, that happened, I think, two or three times, but not very frequently. But also, to be fair, when I took over, there wasn't a lot going on anymore. So... I think yeah. we were just at the end of, or just before, was it before? Um... It was a, it was around the time of the Gathering Storm expansion, and then there was the New Frontiers. Okay, so we didn't have nearly as much stuff that wasn't directly related to what was going on. I, yes, I do remember that every time we had an episode, they released something the week before we, we released the episode. So the, the new release of the DLC was the Tuesday after we recorded. I so we that. always felt yes. like we were a whole week or two behind. We were always three weeks behind. Uh, and it was awful. Correctly, Dan we had a pretty good run of that. 
classic podcast things we're always they always release something like the tuesday after we recorded on a saturday and or we got we get to these lulls in between games or in between dlcs where we start to worry and particularly me even back in the beginning oh my god we're gonna run out of things to talk about and uh, thankfully we didn't still here still talking i think i touched on it when uh Dan had left originally on that last podcast that he was in as a, as a, as the lead co-host. Cause he's been back as a guest since then. But one of the things that doing the podcast over this whole time has helped me with is it doesn't sound like it you to the listeners, but in day-to-day life, I struggle a lot with social anxiety and this it's part, I guess it was part dealing with once we started doing a bunch of guest co-hosts and stuff and having to adjust to new people every couple of weeks and things like that. But doing it in a more comfortable environment. So I got, I sort of developed like a, a skill set to apply in real life when I would have to do things like that. That does not mean in my daily life, I do not go around still being kind of awkward. And uh, I, I love the fact I can do grocery pickups now and I don't have to talk to people to get my groceries. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool that the podcast uh, served as a little bit of therapy. Yeah, I am. I, I am much better dealing with situations and things. It does not mean I still don't have the panic attacks or anxiety attacks, but it's better than it. I mean, I was getting a lot better, and then you know the past couple of years just happened for everybody, and everybody's stress level is up, so it's a little harder again. But it's still nowhere near where I was in two thousand six. Well, with that in mind, it's uh, pretty brave of you to have even accepted the uh, offer to begin with, because uh, yeah, going on to a podcast and broadcasting to the internet with uh, social anxiety, I bet that was. Uh, yeah, it was also like, like a why lot did of courage. You, why did you pick me? Kind of, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. If, I'll try this once, maybe a couple times. Yeah, a couple bit, times. Yeah, yeah. It was been more than it's been 400 times plus at this point. And then when my own co-host, the co-host to be, were as awkward as I was, I was like, okay, it's not just me. Great. Yeah, and 2006 was an awkward time for a lot of people, <laughs> especially on the internet. <laughs> YouTube was very new at that point, if it existed yeah. at all. I think we were still in Google Video at that time. Generating media like this would definitely not be something just a common person would have experience with. So unless you're coming from like mainstream sources into a gaming podcast or something, it's unlikely anybody would have a significant experience with it. I know Dan like I... has talked about how when he first started doing Polycast, it was still telling people what a podcast was as opposed yes. to what your podcast was about. It was still probably another solid five years before most people knew what a podcast was. And you could just say, oh, well, I do one about a gaming thing. They'd be like, oh, cool. You know, but it's like a pod. What? You talk to people on the Internet? What? Well, now it's kind of full circle because now you tell people you do a podcast and they're like, oh, you mean like one of those YouTube video essay things? And it's like, no, <laughs> not exactly. Uh, no, just audio. I mean, Although I, streaming there with... does uh, blur that a bit. <laughs> Yeah, especially since we're on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, like right now, so. Oh, yeah, did we tweet? I did, yes. Okay. Okay. And given that I can't open Spotify without being, here's some podcasts you should listen to. Uh, uh, What do you mean podcasts are old school or something? Podcasts used to be called the radio of the internet. Now they're kind of actually the radio of the internet. (laughs) They literally are. It's just talk radio that you customize for yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of, people consider it to be lower effort now because everybody expects video podcasts like face cams and all that nonsense you set it up is exactly the same amount of effort you just have a camera on you it's actually less effort because you don't have to edit anything if it's a video essay or a video podcast 
because it's really hard to do clean edits when you have a video file. So they yeah, just there's always it. that jumpy jerkiness on yeah. a video. So they just leave all the crap in. But it's okay because you can see what the people are doing, so it's not like awkward silence. Oh, the <laughs> other infamous co-host. Yeah, you just get to awkwardly stare at them while they awkwardly stare back at you. Well, see, we could we could start streaming game stuff while doing the the podcast. We've talked about that several times, and it's something I would like to do, but I'm still well, not healthy to... enough to put all the stuff in place to have things as snappy as I want them to be. I have so many plans, but oops, uh, but I can't I can't do it because I'm not healthy. And like from just a process standpoint, we'd want to make it easy. Uh hopefully easier but at least the same as uh production difficulty right now yeah and i don't think that's necessarily impossible but yeah, it might no. make look different or whatever so if we were gonna do like um well we should probably not talk about this on the air but that's true um <laughs> but since we're talking about games anybody got fun gameplay stories of civ that we haven't heard before still I mean, never well, still never won a game of here, three most people here have heard the game stories that uh, I've told from Civ Fortal now. I've, I've had some interesting-ish interactions in every <laughs> every iteration since I've joined the panel. Yeah, and, I, <laughs> and I and the Sistine Chapel incident are infamous, so, you know. You want to hear all yes. that? There's the old episodes of Turncast that Dan put together. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Oh, which, which you also have to know, Dan didn't used to play MP, but Willow poked him enough to play some games with the two of them online. And then eventually that draw drew in the rest of the co-hosts and some other uh, Civ players from the forums and stuff. So we, we used to have a big enough night that we'd have two or three games of Civ Four going at once. Yeah, yeah Dan is also an MP monster. <laughs> yeah, he plays it even when not on Saturdays now. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I still remember that game we had when I was uh, came on after being a guest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that it was co-op more. Or it was more friendly, not kill each other. Yet. Oh no, I knew it was co-op, uh, uh, but um, we we set the AIs to immortal, and like I killed one AI, and like the rest of you <laughs> killed another AI. <laughs> wasn't that also the game where before you had like a real chance to um, properly like show what kind of player you were? You right-clicked on somebody and accidentally just auto-declared on them. Yeah, that's what oh they yeah, have. but that's like that's <laughs> that's a tip for UI issue, but like. I don't, yeah, that's not a big deal because nothing comes of it. You can just make peace. <laughs> but they had it that. I'm sure that gave somebody a, a bit of a, a jump slash scare. <laughs> like, who did you add, Dan? <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, I was China in that game. It's a long time ago now. And uh, Mega Bears fan doesn't join us for multiplayer, and I don't think he ever has, have you? Uh, I did like one of the group multiplayer games after recording, like way back when I was still a, just a, a guest. Uh, co-host i did a few of those and uh i don't do much multiplayer in general uh in large part because none of the friends that i know that play um civ do a lot of multiplayer and our schedules after work rarely ever line up to the point where we can actually play a game yeah at least not to completion you're on the west coast and that makes it a little hard yeah, well, I mean, everybody I know is also on the west coast but the the problem that i have is i live in las vegas which is you know, a big nighttime city. So in big, you know, service tourism industry. So everybody that I know works different schedules. Ah. Uh, I, I only know a few people who are on a, you know, pretty typical, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five job. Everyone else is working swing shifts and graveyard shifts and weekends. 
And uh, so it's it's really difficult to get people together to play something like Civ or to do like board games and stuff like that, where you actually need the person physically there. Uh, so I, yeah, I just never really got into Civ multiplayer the way all of you have. And uh, when I did try playing um, with the uh, other, um, uh, what was the what was the multiplayer podcast called turncast uh yeah I, I did get together and play like one or two games with the turncast people and it was just a really uncomfortable kind of miserable experience for me because i just had no experience doing it and was just having a really really rough time of it so eh. so you were having the time that warning you too has with us just about every other week where he's he's the one with the miserable experience stuck in it. well he, he or ruben is always the one either gets Steve always gets barb hit and Ruben gets stuck in a corner. I had stuff like that happen to me where, yeah, it was just, it was a really difficult start. And um, on top of that, just playing Civ in multiplayer just has a, like a completely different pace and feel to it than playing in, in single player. Mm. Uh, at least, you know, unless maybe you're playing on like deity difficulty level, which I'm not doing in single player. So that doesn't apply, but yeah, it's, it's a lot more stressful, <laughs> the the more the quicker pace of everything yeah i I think that's maybe the biggest adjustment uh, for anybody doing it is the pace actually oh yeah yeah, difficulty wise i mean our our weekend games are easier than playing on deity because they don't play on deity and the humans are cooperating so uh you rarely get the kind of pressure in terms of like an ai winning or killing you that you would in single player that way uh, but you don't have the same amount of time in each turn to, to deliberate on what you would do, plan out micromanagement, whatever. Now, I rarely did that anyway, but uh, for people who really plan uh, turns meticulously, uh, the live format or time, turn timer-based format is a lot more challenging than it would be to do like play by email or uh, more than 24-hour turn timers, so that sort of thing, where you can actually take some time to make decisions on what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. And actually, yeah, there's uh, some of the the really great players in Civ 4 uh, actually performed worse in our multiplayer games just because they were not used to the format. Although that wasn't always true. Like Obsolete, for example, was just a monster <laughs> in, in our one uh, turncast game where he turned up. <laughs> he and was a regular we- deity player, and he did the exact same thing as always in, <laughs> in turncast. <laughs> so... Some people could handle the pace, but a lot of people couldn't, or it would, they would still be good, but they wouldn't be as good as a result of it. Uh, and it, it is, it's challenging. And Civilization is by no means the only game that has that issue. Lots of games that have a single player and a multiplayer component, it, it's the same deal. Like you play a Call of Duty single player campaign, it's a completely different experience to playing Call of Duty in multiplayer. Oh yeah, and like stuff like Hearts of Iron, oh my gosh. Like Because you can pause and micro all you want against the AI in single player. It is a different world from doing it uh, on a forced time like, speed because it's real time with pausing like all the other Paradox games. But they, that's the one where your battlefield micro like doesn't just matter a little bit. It, it's a like, big component of who wins versus not. I mean, your production and design do too, but uh, like you could other you could have you otherwise very similar in ability and just get absolutely stomped if you can't control your units fast enough in a multiplayer setting. And that just isn't a thing. If you're playing single player, you can lower the speed or pause as much as you want. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's maybe a little less magnified in Civ compared to some of the other games. Civ has that weird thing where it's technically turn-based, but in multiplayer, it's usually simultaneous turns as well. So yeah. it's not actually turn-based, but it's turn-based. So Well, it's turn-based, but uh, you don't like 
take turn. Like it, it's yeah, like you said, simultaneous. But there's still like we still have a turn timer, and uh, everyone is still playing one turn within the scope of that timer. So you can't get ahead simply by giving orders more quickly. It's only if you give orders too slowly that you fall behind, so to speak. Uh, there's yeah. some double moving shenanigans or whatever that's introduced by having simultaneous turns. Yeah, and especially if you're doing a, a more competitive multiplayer, that really shows up. Oh man! If people are if people are lurking on the turn timer, like click click click, trying to make sure their unit moves first. <laughs> Unless, and I did this to Firefox in one of the games where we fought. You you wait until like a couple seconds before the end of the turn, then move your units, and then as soon as the turn rolls, you move them again. <laughs> uh-huh. Double moving. Yep, yep. 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 And even when it's the simultaneous and we're doing co-op, sometimes you have so many units to move in a really intense war that it takes that entire turn timer and you still don't get to move somebody you needed to move. And, you know, then there's a lot of swearing. Yeah, I, I think the newer Civ games are worse about it. Uh, not just because they're one unit per tile, but because they're the way their cycling works. And, oh my gosh, in my particular gripe of mine is the input buffering. And... You know, you, we kind of take it for granted when it's good uh, input buffering. Because, like, you don't want to have no buffering at all. But at the same time, like, if you have it too long, so it's, like, buffering unintended actions, or if it's inconsistent where the game will sometimes track an input you put in, like, you know, maybe a second ago, and sometimes it won't, uh, for example, uh, that's really frustrating to work with under a timer. Because now, like, you you can give orders and they won't count. And you won't know for sure if they count until later. And that that slows you down a lot. Like, if you have a 90-second timer and you're losing, like, you know, 15 seconds a turn moving military units because of uh, input buffering issues, uh, now we're talking a substantial percentage of your entire turn. And that that adds up quickly. That can easily cost you uh, running out of time uh, when it shouldn't. And, yeah, Civ uh, 5 and 6 are both uh, bad with that, with the buffering versus one unit per tile issue. It's not just Civ, though. Elden Ring has that oh, problem, no, it too. Isn't. Yeah, uh, Eldering has a problem offline. Yeah, it's not easy to do well, uh, but uh, games do it well, and when they do it well, you don't notice. Is the thing the number of times <laughs> I hit, I get hit by the enemy, and then roll immediately after I recover because the input was buffered because it didn't go through before the attack hit. Yeah, that's that's an example of buffering like too far in advance, or it's just not reacting fast enough, like latency maybe. My biggest I don't really think that should be a thing in single player, unless you're like also hitching. Like if you're having a technical problem where your game is like not running properly, but that's not the, that's not the problem in Elden Ring because you can have the game very smoothly execute the entire sequence, and like something you pressed way too long ago is still being given an order like after you get hit. That shouldn't be a thing. The bigger like frustration if- I've been having with Elden Ring is that they. Uh... Because they introduced the jump button, they mapped so much to the uh, the triangle button on the, the PlayStation gamepad, and I'm playing on PS5, so it's also got the motion controls for the gestures. Oh. So what frequently happens is I'm <laughs> running around from a boss or something, or, or you know, a mob of enemies, and I'm like pressing the triangle button to like switch weapon hands or something, and then it triggers a gesture. And Point like my down. Car- and yeah, my character just falls to the ground in that defeat gesture. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and oh from the boss like he, just, like he just gives up in the middle of the fight like oh thank you very much from software <laughs> okay that's funny though it is it is comical especially in hindsight it's it's less funny when it's happening yeah, and, yeah. when you're living a tense fight and this is like the fifth time you've tried to defeat that boss and it does it again and you're swearing but you know fifth time oh, yeah. <laughs> it was two hits away no 
Yes, exactly. What do you mean fifth time? We're on 50th time. Listen, I was trying to be generous. That was a fun game. Well, Mackie has gotten good. Get good. Janice and I beat it. Yeah, I beat it first, but that was also because I was obsessed with it. Yeah, I I couldn't get home fast enough each time. (laughs) Oh, well, maybe we should move on to our actual topic, our next topic, so we can... Uh, unless anybody else has anything to say about Polycast or past game glories. Oh, we could no. go. We, we could use up more time than is necessary here. Just just another perfect example of uh, of our bi-weekly reminder that, yes, we play other games, too. Yeah. Yeah. My cat is scratching at the door. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but nope. he was being naughty, so I shut her out of the room. And uh, she's never really experienced that before. She's not happy. Riggedy erect. All right, so uh, this was 30 days ago, so wow, quite a while ago. But Soren Johnson had a uh, interview, I guess, with... Um, PC Gamer, and he was talking about Civ 3's bargaining table and how this, the way that it was implemented was a problem. And uh, I don't remember exactly what he was saying about it, but we're talking about the, the diploma- diplomacy screen where you could trade anything from gold to access with other civs to maps of other, other, other lands to maps of your own land. Yeah, um, I think a big part of his argument was something I've seen from other developers as well as the concept of optimizing fun out of the game. Uh, now, I'm going to start this by again saying that although I respect Zorn a lot as a designer and we agree on a lot of things, when it comes to AI in particular, he and I don't say see eye to eye in terms of my own personal preference as a player. I would like the AI to play relatively optimally within the game roles, and uh, he definitely doesn't like that. And, you know, over time, I've come to realize I'm probably in the minority when it comes to that. Uh, well, he people... addresses that in, in the uh, interview as well. And he says that, yes, most people say they want an AI that plays to win the game. But when you actually program one, players don't like it. Yeah, see, <laughs> I don't agree there, but I know I'm in a minority uh, in a lot of ways, statistically, across multiple games. Uh, my preferences are atypical. So, you know, he might be saying that in saying that accurately to most players and i'm just not most players um that's fair because you know you got to design the game for the majority of people who are going to play it not like you know statistical outliers or whatever uh that being said there's always a balance there between that and using it as a cop-out because in a lot of cases the design of the mechanic itself is the problem and that's that's somewhere where we actually converge a bit more uh, because you don't want an optimal thing to do that's tedious or that sucks. And uh, a big part of his criticism of the Civ 3 table was exactly that, that you would always wanting to be check uh, checking and always trying to eke out that last you know little bit more from the deal every time. And you know, that's just not that's not fun to do. Uh, and I would agree with that. And so you want to try to avoid creating uh, gameplay incentives slash mechanics that are overly tedious in the first place. One of the things that he brings up in relation to that is the fact that like all of the like tech trading and resource trading and stuff like that that you could do in Civ 3 and beyond costs nothing to, for the player or the, um, the AI. So that does create that incentive to, like you said, just every turn 
go to every AI and offer them whatever you have and see what they'll give you for it. Especially since what they're willing to trade can change from turn to turn. Yeah. It's like, the uh, especially in Civ 4, I know this was a thing, but it used to be that you had to have like certain mods that would tell you when somebody mm-hmm. had enough on their hands right now or when somebody was willing to trade something or things yep. like that, and there would be notifications, and that doesn't seem like fun. Well, it was better having them than not having them, uh, because then you wouldn't have to do the work of constantly clicking into the screens all the time. Well, I mean, that the, the system that required them was not good. Yeah. Diplomacy has always has been a problem in Civ since at least Civ 3. Uh, I think it's always been a problem in competitive games, because there always is a tug-of-war between getting the AI to roleplay within the context of the the game slash lore or whatever, uh, you know, depending if it's a history game or they're trying to be in character or whatever. Uh, yeah. And them like not throwing the game uh, because they're role-playing because like, that's also a problem. It's not talked about much with the AI because the AI usually struggles to be competitive in the first place. But when you play a multiplayer game and somebody changes the game state uh, because they're not trying, they just do something that throws the game, but like, you know, gives somebody in a runaway position or, uh, you know, it takes too long, whatever. That's an issue too, and they're certainly not playing optimally from the perspective of uh, trying to get their own win likelihood up, or you know, trying to make sure they win. Uh, but they can certainly influence who else wins in a negative way, and that's a problem too. And very frequently in Civ games, the AI inadvertently throws, and that causes a problem. Uh, I've, I've seen AIs that on like Immortal expand to three cities and give another AI like fifteen cities. And all of a sudden, that's an enormous problem because uh, uh, it, it's like adding a difficulty level in effect. And I can say that with some confidence because uh, you know I've won on deity, but I wouldn't win on deity if the AI did that on deity. <laughs> so I yeah I don't know what the the good answer is there, but I, I would strongly encourage that the optimal decision making isn't something that's unfun to interact with in game terms, no matter what it is. And that also holds true for the Diplo screen. Like making the game inconvenient to play is just not it's not good design in pretty much any game, even outside of Civ. Yeah, the AI has the time to go through every turn and hit those negotiation tables and even find the five gold or five gold turn or something. But the human's not going to do that. Even when you're playing in single player, you're not going to sit there and hit that every turn. You might check every few turns. You know, like the AI can. One of the examples was about how it looked kind of like the AI was doing a a tech cartel back when you could trade techs. But when you're in a cooperative multiplayer game or even in a regular multiplayer game, you can still do that against the AI too. You know, it's just people got angry at the AI for doing exactly what the players do. <laughs> it's kind of, they can't win on the development side. Yeah. Cause they'll also get angry at the AI for doing things that players wouldn't do. Cause they're like inane or random or <laughs> yeah. problems. Yeah, I don't know a good answer to this there. And eventually, like once uh, once making AI better than humans is inexpensive to do, which I don't think is, uh, I think we'll get there eventually. It'll just become more cost effective to implement. Oh yeah, not then. Uh, then you're gonna have to decide like how to handicap it. Uh, yeah, yeah. At that point, the difficulty will be how to make the AI dumb again. Yeah, <laughs> and, and in what way? Like, because there's been some effort, say for example, in chess, to make the AI make more human-like decisions. Uh, even though it's uh, you know playing at such a high level, and like how do you even define that? What's the decision a human would make versus a, a computer? Uh, sometimes that's <laughs> sometimes there's a pattern you can discern there, like what a grandmaster would do versus 
the AI. But a lot of times, like, it's hard to say if you're, especially if you're not like one of the grandmasters yourself, <laughs> what what would be a human-like move versus an AI-like move? Like, you, you wouldn't see either as almost anybody in the world other than these top players. So maybe, maybe in the case of risk, it would be something along the lines of a move that has high risk but high reward as opposed to just the thing that is the safest move to play. The AI will some frequently go for high risk, high reward moves. In fact, the AI in some cases will do that more than a human because uh, like it has because because humans have some loss aversion built in, right? Most players do. Most people will take if given an equal opportunity for like something that's like lower risk, lower reward. Uh, versus higher risk higher reward but like the net is the same the humans will favor the safer thing that's more likely to work whereas the ai just doesn't give a crap if it evaluates the same amount of risk of return and benefit it, it gets the same number each time it, it'll pick between them equally and so the ai is actually quite likely uh, to take a high risk strategy if the payoff is high and i would say higher than players the ai that that's why the ai will frequently do non-intuitive things too uh, if trained in machine learning one of the one of several reasons, because a lot of times people just don't consider the tactic the AI finds through brute forcing many iterations. But in a lot of cases, it just it tolerates risk because it doesn't care. It has no ego to get wounded if it loses. Yeah, no, it does not give a crap. <laughs> it just chalks up a statistic and moves on to a new game. Yeah, and even that's uh, humanizing it a little too much, so to speak. Yeah. But yeah, it certainly does not care. Does not give a crap. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. I'll love to see how people do, uh, how how people design it, and how players interact with it as it improves over time. But I definitely agree with Soren on the the major takeaway, which you really don't want game mechanics that incentivize tedious play to be optimal, because people do want to play well on average. Like not everyone wants to be hundred percent optimal all the time, but people hate knowing that there's an in-game action they could take that would better their position that they could do, but it's just too much hassle to do it, so they don't do it. So they feel like they're missing out there. That is uh, that is a pattern we see repeatedly in everything from Civ to even roguelikes like Dungeon Crawl uh, stuff. And sports games, too. Yeah. And you mean anywhere it's a thing. Because, uh, yeah, like if you're trying to train week to week in Madden for those your players in a <laughs> in a season, that's terrible. It's so tedious. But if you don't do it, your players don't get better by as much. Well, and yeah, across and the season, the improvement is huge. So like, well, even there, just... like, it's just annoying even just within like a single match, like you'll do things that a real football team wouldn't do because it's, you know, strategically unviable, but because of the way that the Madden mechanics work, it's like optimal play in the game. I'll give an example. I'm not sure what you're going for in the terms of the gameplay itself. Okay. Well, at the risk of once again, turning this into a Madden uh, podcast, the the default quarter length for Madden competitive games is like five or six minutes, which is compared to the 15 minute long quarter lengths of a real football game. So that doesn't give you a lot of time to do things like establish a running game or have like long methodical field position drives. Like you have to score and you have to score a touchdown every single drive because you're only going to get like three or four possessions the entire game. So you never punt the ball. You always go for it on fourth down. And for some players that they think even the optimal play is to, um, to kick onside kicks or to go for two point conversions every single time, because you have so few possessions in which to make up, uh, deficits. Now, to be fair, real NFL teams should go for it on fourth down more than they do. And they've only started doing that in the past five years. Yeah, but that's a, but statistically, you know, they are a quite awful. Thing. Fourth and short on the opponent's side of the field. Yes. Uh, but in Madden, fourth and five on your own 35 sometimes. 
Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that, but in, in real football, statistically, that that is frequently the case where you should still go for it, and teams very rarely will. It depends on the game situation, score, and all that. But uh, there's actually something to be said there because possessions are finite in real games too. There might be more of them, but there still aren't that many. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, there, I was thinking you were talking more about like inputs where you're manipulating your players every turn pre-snap or... And there's that too. And, you know, exploitative plays where there might be a particular passing route that the defense just does not know how to cover, which you can just call every single play yep. and, you know, throw to. And in real football, like they'd figure that out after one or two times that you run that play and they would adjust to it. So, but that you can't do that in football because you're dependent on a computerized AI, not a human that's actually able to analyze the situation and make decisions. Yep, that's what top play revolves around. It's annoying. But yeah, enough of Madden. Yeah, maybe it's time to talk about older Civ games instead. Line. Uh, so at this point, we will now look at several previous entries in the Civilization franchise and uh, make arguments for or against playing them now in 2021. Okay, so it looks like first up is, is Civ 4 still worth buying in 2022 by, uh, uh, well, the thread length is Coffee for Closers, and they're asking... <laughs> Asking if Civ 4 is still worth getting. And I would say, obviously, yes, because I have, you know, I did, I, I have it on Steam now, but nearly all of my playtime is long before uh, Steam uh, in terms of uh, when you could buy the game. So I probably have thousands of hours in Civ 4, and uh, maybe only EU4 has more playtime for me. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had there. Uh, a lot of the strategies have been figured out, so maybe you wouldn't get as much mileage out of it now as you would when set strategies were still new and fresh in the game. But even so, it's I, I would say still the deepest in terms of micromanagement planning and uh, expansion balance in terms of uh, like you know, when you're making settlers, planning cities, and that sort of thing. And especially if you have if you've got an older system or something, both this and Civ Five will probably run a lot more smoothly than if you tried to jump in at Civ Six. And you'll oh, still, yeah. and so if later on you pick up the later games in the series, you're still going to get a lot of uh, sort of the, I want to call it foundational things about Civ Down. You know, I mean, it changes from game, certain things change from game to game, but there's a certain pattern or style to the gameplay that is a Civ thing with the settlers and expanding and what you do. And I mean, districts is an entirely different thing later, but you'll get to know Civ very well so that when you pick up later ones, you'll know what you're doing. But it's also, it's like each iteration uh, after two has been its unique take on the expansion loop and gameplay loop as well. And I would argue Civ 4s is one of the more complex ones. So in just in that regard, you are getting a new game that will, uh, new in the sense that if you haven't played it much before, yeah, that still holds up today in terms of its depth. Well, and it, also, it's new in modding. That it, I mean, yeah. for, it, it, oh, and in terms of performance, like Mackie said, it is way, way faster than both Civ 6 and 5 uh, for uh, on the same machine specs because it's optimized better and it's also older. So it is less graphical intensity and it was optimized better for machines at the time than Civ 5 and 6 are optimized for you know today's machines. So yeah, it, it should run very well. <laughs> 
Uh, that that's a big advantage uh, for certain. Yeah, and you're and you're not just getting the game; you're getting this whole big pile of mods that you could completely change. There's complete game conversions and things, and you'll be playing like whole new game multiple times over out of one base game. So, really, yeah, worth it still. Rise and, and Fall so was fun, and uh, oh, there's a fantasy conversion I can't think of the name of as well. But heaven. yeah, yeah. Fall Thank from you. Heaven. There are several Sorry, several Kale. different Fall from Heavens. And Civ 4 will also feel like a totally different game compared to Civ 5 and Civ 6 because a lot of the fundamental rules changed between Civ 4 and Civ uh, 5. So, for example, you don't have uh, the one unit per tile in Civ 4. You'll have stacking armies, and the cities don't automatically defend themselves or have hit points. So you have to remember to actually keep units in your cities so that those early game barbarians don't literally just walk into your capital and prematurely end the game for you. Yep. Civ 4 also and had... This is, of course, the um, the dice rolls of the combat, where uh, every combat, a unit lives and a unit dies. Usually. Yeah, there's yeah, a few exclusions. You, you like have withdrawal on the retreat. Yeah, and some of the mounted units can retreat. But yeah, for the most part, yeah, the battle will go on until a unit dies, and uh, sometimes that can really be a pain in the ass. Spearman versus tank. Civ Although Fox. a huge percentage of combat is siege, so... Civ 4 has a... Um... Like Mackie said, there is a huge number of mods for it and very large mod packs as well. Like, not even considering that the original game, Beyond the Sword, came out with like 12 um, full conversion mods to it that were um, like scenarios. And a lot of those were updated as the game went on uh, by the fans. So if I'm looking, I'm looking at the Civ 4 customization and creation forum in Civ Fanatics right now. Under mod, mod and project development, there are, I want to say, seven times five different separate subforms for a mod pack. So we're talking, what, what, what is that, 25, um, 35 projects that are still active uh, in modding in Civ 4 right now. And these are things like, oh, uh, better AI and Civ Gold, which is every Civ ever on the face of the planet, and it takes a lot of energy to load. Dune Wars, Ancient Europe, Rise and Fall, Caveman to Cosmos, Final Frontier Plus, Star Trek, Total War, all kinds of fun stuff. And then there's also the unaltered gameplay mods that optimize the game and also add special things so that you can more easily see the interface. Yeah, Bug and Buffy come highly recommended. And then next up, we have the same question being asked in the Civ 5 subreddit uh, posted by user CapitalistPig91 uh, two months ago, asking is Civ 5 worth playing in 2022? And um, I think my response would be to, to that, is would be that um, Civ Five is more worth playing today than it was when it first came out in 2010 or whenever it was because uh, <laughs> Civ Five's launch was not a pretty launch. <laughs> um, it might have been the ugliest launch of the 2010s. Oh yeah, and and by far the worst launch anyway. of, and by far the worst launch of any Civ game ever, and that probably includes like Civ Rev and you know stuff like that as well. I would argue that Civ V's launch was worse than the SimCity th- 2013 launch because Oof. at least, well, I don't know Sim- about that. well yeah. SimCity 13 at least was playable after a few days worth of 
controversy and difficulty. Whereas if you're going to play multiplayer in Civ Five, it took multiple years before that was playable. Certainly, yeah. we stayed on Civ Four for a while just because the games would crash or not be finishable uh, in Five. Oh, uh, yeah, that's something we shouldn't mention about Civ Four. If you've got other friends or other people you meet on the forums to play with, the Civ Four multiplayer is good. Like, Civ yeah. Five is also good now that it's been polished. But yeah, initially, the Civ Five multiplayer was not pretty. I mean, Four's got permanent alliances and vassal states yeah. and whatnot, so you can like win <laughs> together. Loves vassal states. <laughs> Civ 4, I didn't... I, I, I love 8 with vassals. I want to see them come back, but like in a better form than they were. I did forget to mention this with Civ 4, but when, Civ, when GameSpy shut down several years ago, Steam's version of Civ 4 was updated to use Steamworks as their multiplayer support. And in the process of doing that, they changed something within the code that causes problems for some of the mods. And the way to solve that is by going to the beta t- betas tab in Steam and going to original release version. I believe it's three point one nine is the most is the first, the last version. Yeah, the last fish, official version of Beyond the Sword. And can you will... still do multiplayer with that original version beta, or does that lock you into only being able to play single player? You could do direct IP. I'm sure if you're on that beta. Also, you need to check executive and run in Windows 7 compatibility mode as administrator to make it actually work properly. But anyway, yeah, about uh, Civ 5 specifically, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still a, a really good game with both expansions. Um, in fact, you know, I mean, Civ 6, a lot of people criticize Civ 6 for just being Civ 5.5, like a do-over of Civ 5, because they basically... Yeah, at least the vanilla release of Civ 6, because they basically just ported a lot of the Brave New World mechanics over almost verbatim. And in a lot of those cases, as we talked about a few episodes ago, I actually think uh, Civ 5 Brave New World did those mechanics better. So, yeah, <laughs> to, to, to some degree, Civ 5, you know, there's still like viable debate as to whether Civ 5 is a better game today than Civ 6 is today. Civ Five. Yeah, almost I, I would debate so strongly in favor of Civ Six. Not that Civ Five isn't worth playing, but man, like some of the some of the more nuanced systems of Six are just just make for better gameplay experience. If the I biggest at... one, just being the incentives of expansion, are completely broken in Civ Five. Yeah, Civ Five had the dominant strategy, which you know, going back to the topic from before, the the optimal play of like four or five cities and tradition uh, policy tree was was pretty universally agreed upon as optimal play civilization five according to current steam statistics still has twenty five thousand daily players which is yeah must be doing something right which is two thousand less than eu4's current daily players and even if you're just is up at fifty thousand and even if you're just playing the game as it is with its expansions uh well one i think people have pointed out before that the uh, graphic design has actually aged really well. That's another thing. Uh, yeah, it's t- it has a timeless base... design. Yeah, and even just the even just the base game with the expansion still plays really well. And then similar to Civ Four, you know, I don't you don't have quite as extensive of a thing of mods, but you still have a lot of mods you could pick and choose from if you ever got tired of the base game. I think the um, the fact that Steam uses the Steam or that Civ Five uses the Steam Workshop limits the visibility of mods on Civ uh, Fanatics. Because if I look at Civ Fanatics, I only see, let's see, in the, oh, that's the wrong one. 
in the uh, modding sub subgenres, I only see nine. So yeah, th- yeah. This was this is the game where it started transitioning from the distributed like through Civ Fanatics and other sites like that to going over to Steam Workshop because it was the first one that was Steam from the beginning. So but let me look real quick into the uh, Steam Workshop page for Civ Five and see just how extensive that is. Because I know Civ, Civ 5 had problems with modding because they didn't release the DLL until very late in the development cycle. Yeah. Uh, compared to Civ 4, where it was released pretty early. And a lot of people were not happy with that. Um, let's see, it would be under mod packs, right? And Civ 6, I think, still has not released the, the source code. And there's, as far as I know, no plans to do it at all. It doesn't look like it, no. And that's really disappointing. Yeah, there's multiple thousands of mods in here in the Steam Workshop. So Steam has or Civ Five has a lot of mods as well. But my personal opinion is that Civ Five is the best Civ, mostly because I'm not somebody who believes that bigger is always better. Um, I like the way that Civ Five kind of recognizes its own limits and doesn't try to push past them so much. Me and Timus declared war on Canis Alvinus. <laughs> Well, reason ideological differences. That's well, especially the the you want in a competitive game to have competition over resources and an anti-expansion mechanic where everyone can get to the optimal number of cities. It really cuts into that a lot. I didn't say it was always it had everything right because I really don't like the few cities aspect of Civ Five. It's such a big deal, though. It's not fun at all that part of it, but I like the way that the games culture and tech progress works. I really like the way that you the ideolo- ideology system works, whereas instead of just, oh, you um, go up to a certain level of culture and then you pick one, and you don't ha- you're not really forced to make a choice to change into one of them. In Civ V, you are required to pick one of the three paths, and that really has a big effect on your diplomatic path in the future. And it Actually, more realistically, in my view, well, realistic doesn't really matter, but more, what's the word I'm looking for? More. It, it does make the end game in Civ 5 a lot more tense than a lot of the end games in Civ 6, yeah, at least in, in my Civ opinion, have 6, been. The end game is mostly just, I'm either going to kill everybody or I'm going to drown the planet. And while that may be more accurate to real life, I like the 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 idea that the game ends before that becomes a problem. Really, I think yeah, if you Civ- took, if you took Civ Five Civ Five's culture system and Civ Six's uh, weather system and put them together, that would be a much better game. But I also like Civ Six's uh, expansion system, and um, I kind of like Civ Five happiness better, but but just not the global aspect of it. Well, I do like the global aspect of it. I don't like the local aspect of it but huh i'm weird i thought civ 4 had the best uh expansion constraints by a mile over five and six. Oh, definitely because and it that has... had local happiness but it had maintenance instead as your gate for getting big yeah was... so you can build as many cities as you wanted it just got more and more expensive each time but eventually you could mitigate that to the point where those cities were a net positive yeah I'm... unless you bankrupted yourself early and then you couldn't I was going to point out that uh, Civ 4 does not have the most complex system 
it has the most appropriately complex system because Civ 3s is more complex, but that's a bad thing because you don't know how it works. One of oh, the, yeah, the corruption mechanic in Civ 3, yeah, that was awful. Yeah, uh, I believe that back in the in the old days, one of the developers that eventually went to work at Firaxis was a forum guy who figured out how corruption worked. Yeah, that was a really intractable mechanic. It's bleeding together for me, the Civ uh, 2 versus 3 mechanics. In Civ, I didn't think it was that complicated, though. In Civ, well, it was complicated the way that it was ca- calculated. Basically, the way it was was you will pick democracy or republic, and you will only pick those because they have the lowest corruption. And corruption in Civ 3 didn't just, um, it wasn't an, uh, a gold thing. It was something that actually prevented those new cities from being productive at all. Like they would generate no production because they were yeah. too corrupt. Was that the one where specialists overrode that? Or is that a, am I thinking different? I don't think Civ three had specialists, but I no I, Civ three had specialists. If there was one with specialists, it would have been Civ three because I don't think Civ two has specialists. Four had it as well, but yeah, I, I remember people bypassing some of the issues with corruption and waste by doing specialists. So while we're on the topic, is Civ three worth playing in twenty twenty two? Resounding no. <laughs> if you can get it Yo. to run, it's not worth it. You're going to go back into the old Civ catalog. Stop around four. I mean, you can play Civ two if you can find it, but well, yeah, Civ true. two still has its fans for sure. They all have the Civ, free, all if you fans. really want to go back to Civ one, there's free Civ. So free Civ recently. I forgot to put this on the topic list, but free Civ actually recently updated to version three and it's more like Civ three now. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I kind of want to say it's not a good thing. That would be my gut reaction, too. Yeah. Uh, FreeCiv 3.0 has been announced, or has been released. This is directly from their website. Um, oh, I'm not going to read this whole thing. But, yeah, it looks a lot... Like, it has a Civ 3 re- rule set. So well, I guess, if it's optional... I guess it's optional. Okay. I guess they're, they're working on emulating Civ 3 in the pro- program as well, which I guess is pretty cool, but... I do kind of want to go back and play Civ 3 just to see how it worked, but I push off, put off doing it because I just know it's not going to be any fun. The ultimate turncast weekend, we all play Civ 3. Uh, well, yeah, that was Candace's first thing. If you can get it to work. I... Oh, that would make the multiplayer experience even better. Civ 3 Isn't... is on Steam. So yeah, it is on Steam. I'm pretty sure it is. It should have working mm. multiplayer. Let me check that well, real then. quick. Steam store page should list multiplayer if it's available. Online PvP, online co-op, so it should work. Steam achievements? <laughs> what? Does, why does... Oh, that might be Galsiv 3. <laughs> I was going to say, check that. What? Civilization 3 complete. Let's try that. Uh, single player level editor. So hmm. online multiplayer has been suspended as of May 23rd, 31st, 2014. Land mode still supported. Okay, so no multiplayer in Civ 3. Lame. Well, I'm sure they nobody cared to fix it when GameSpy stopped. It's kind of weird that like every game doesn't have a direct IP connection option if you want to use it. Well, yeah. I was really hoping From Software would have patched that into the original Demon Souls, but no luck. I can understand why they wouldn't want to do it because direct IP is really not that great in terms of actual user friendliness. That's true, but, but it's something. nothing. 
Yeah, and like, if you're going to be relying on like a game server or something to have it otherwise, it kind of sucks that the the game's multiplayer has a shelf life. They just bet Ron on what multiplayer service to stick with, is what it is. Well, I imagine that. Well, Steam didn't really exist yet when Civ Three came out. At that point, right? no. But even later on, well, it was still Steam would have come along while it was still going. Steam somewhere. Steam, so I want to say in the Stone Ages before Steam. I want to yeah, say, but like games with direct IP from the Stone Ages, you can still play, assuming you can get them running otherwise, like in multiplayer. Steam came out with Half Life Two, I think. That sounds correct. And that was two thousand four. So um, that would imply that Steam came around two thousand four, which would uh, which would make it understandable why it wouldn't switch over to Steam. Although I think there was a very um, wrong impetus to not touch Civ 3 after Civ 4 came out because I think even the developers thought it was kind of not as great. Well, clearly Soren <laughs> didn't like Civ 3 as much. He, was the, he was the developer of it, though. Or for part yeah. of it. Well, he was also the developer on 4, though, so he had the, the double perspective. Steam launched and September then I think 2003. We also mentioned Beyond Earth at some point in this question. Ah, yes. Yes, well, which is a whole other thing of it's still a Civ game as it was, but is it worth buying? Well, somebody's actually playing this and basically, in a sense, would it be worth buying? It's when, uh, yeah, if you want a if you want sci-fi Civ, kind of. I mean, part of the problem, and even we, even we here on the podcast were a little harsh on it when it first came out, because like a lot of people, we were expecting Alpha Centauri 2. You know, we were supposed to take them to take the gameplay from that and just modernize it and use the Civ backdrop type thing. But they made something that was a bit different, and it got it's underappreciated, kind of. And even us at the time really didn't. It's one of those things that, as it's gone on and I look back at it, I'm like, actually, that did a lot of things I liked. But I yeah. was, but like a lot of people too, blinded by wanting it so, wanting so much for it to be Alpha Centauri too. And, and especially even some of the, the expansion pack did a lot of really neat things. Yeah, yeah, and it brought the water in, just like the expansion pack for original Alpha Centauri had brought all the water stuff in. And yeah, I mean, there's here recently more than once I have been scrolling past it because it's still in my Steam library. And I'm going, you know, maybe I should give it another chance. Because I've been playing other things like Perispera, and I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of on a space games kick right now, and it would probably be great because it's it's not exactly Civ in space, but or Civ Five in space, but it's still a good game. I mean, some people even in these comments are still upset. Oh, it's not Alpha Centauri, and it sucks. But no, it doesn't. It and couldn't I, I, be Alpha Centauri though, because you can't replace that. Well, no. so because Electronic Arts owns the uh, IP <laughs> Partially for Alpha yeah, Centauri like, and has been sitting on it for like 20 years and hasn't done anything with it. Yeah, it's like how I'm never going to have another proper Ultima game again because of EA. Thanks. <laughs> That's a whole Although other Although it thing. is a significant failing of Beyond Earth that you can't nerf staple people. <laughs> that's just, to be that's fair. just you. But oh, it also on. has, but what it didn't have so much back in the day is it does also have mods now. That have extended, extended, probably maybe done some of the things the dev would have done if he'd gotten the third expansion pack. Which, like with Civ Five, the third expansion pack is what made Civ Five so just darn good and stand the test of time, kind of thing. If, if Beyond Earth had gotten its third, it probably would be considered higher. But because of where it got stopped in the dev cycle, it's 
it's still good, but it's not as good as it could have been. But it's still good. You could still buy it, and it's been on sale multiple times, and you could put a lot of hours in it. Somebody in here has, like, 680 hours in it. What? What? Yeah. And Beyond Earth. I'm trying to find so, it in my Steam library. There it is. Nope, that's Beyond the Sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's still a few issues, but even people in this thread are p- posting, like, the fixes for it because it's been around a while, so the few issues that are people know how to fix. Some I people think... want it to be a more aggressive gamer for the AI to be more aggressive, but some people enjoy the smoother gameplay, I guess. I think the the primary issue with Beyond Earth as to why it was not as... Not, it didn't pick up the Alpha Centauri mantle is not necessarily because the characters are different, but because the characters feel very bland. Um, like, each individual yes. Civ leader, they have one or two voice lines total. And there's a, even as much of a capitalist as I am, I can only handle Adam Smith so many times before I just want it to stop. Remember, Canis, no village was ever ruined by trade. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, <laughs> come on. You could have, like, there, most of the game's tech things, like, all of them have tech quotes, and most of them are are from those leaders. If you wanted to really make those characters feel alive, make those tech quotes be read by those characters. And then all of a sudden, you're hearing their voices more, you're understanding who they are more, and you're not just hearing this disembodied announcer lady who, while she does have a very nice voice, she's not a character in the game. And it's just a disembodied voice telling you about the tech, whereas the characters who wrote about it should be the ones telling you. I wonder yeah, they... how much of that was not having the voice actors like in the studio available to record all those lines or how much of it was actually a conscious decision from Firaxis that they don't want those voice actors recording those tech quote lines because I, I could I could easily imagine that they were thinking of having this like open system where you you shape the civilization and the leader, you know, through the different affinity paths. And they're like, OK, well, we don't want them reading off lines that are then going to be Contra- that are going to characterize them in ways that are now contrary to the way that the players are developing them, but it, it's hard to know which you know which is the way it was. I could see that, but at the same time, the techs, all the character, all the players get the techs, so it's not like, right. Most of the tech quotes were not specifically related to affinity direction, uh, affinity activities, unless they right. were affinity techs. But when they when they budgeted for all the voice acting recording, they might not have known that at the time. They might have thought it would, you know, who knows? I don't know. I just think that it, that was a big oversight because the reason we didn't care about the factions and the the leaders is because we didn't know anything about them. They were just there and we knew what their name was and we knew what organization they led. But we didn't really know anything about what they believed what they wanted to do, what they had done. You had to read the Civilopedia for all that. And while the stuff in the Civilopedia was really interesting, you should be able to see that in the game itself. Not it doesn't have it shouldn't have to be read to you or to be you don't shouldn't have to read it in a in a game that has voice actors or whatever. Yeah, because even Alpha Centauri in 1999 had the individual clips for all the different texts with different faction leaders. And you got, even if you didn't read its version of Civilopedia, you know, 
you still got to know their personalities from the quotes that were given to them and the delivery from some of the voice actors. And then there was also the Great Wonder movies, which also gave you more of an idea of where they stood in terms of things. And I mean, I can see where they probably wanted the players to put more of their own stamp on the leaders they were taking. But if they made more interesting leaders is not the right word, but a stronger characterization of each of the leaders. And they would have had that thing because there's still, even to this day, people who are the Alpha Centauri players like, yeah, I always play this faction. And it's not necessarily because of the, their literal in-game bone because they like how that faction's thought process and culture was. The, the Alpha Centauri factions are much more distinct individually than the Beyond Earth ones, definitely. And the, and the mainline Civ games can get away with having a little less characterization for the civilization leaders because of the fact that they are actual historic figures. So if you know anything about history... Uh, you're probably going to have a basic gist of maybe who these people were and what they might have done. Like, you know, pretty much anybody is going to know who a Julius Caesar is, or, you know, most of us are probably going to have some idea of who Montezuma was or Gandhi. So you don't need to have a strong characterization of them in the game because the players come in with their own preconceptions of who these uh, who these historic figures were and what they did, unlike the sci-fi setting where they're completely original made-up characters and just basically appear to the players as blank slates. The communiques in the expansion did a lot to help that, but not enough. And it was too late to affect the way that the public thought about it, I think. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think of what would have happened if... Civ 5 and Civ 6 had not seen a second expansion because of mm. negative reactions to the vanilla game. Like, if, if we would have not gotten Brave New World for Civ 5 with the trade mechanics and the, the great works mechanics uh, and stuff like that, that, you know, looks like they're going to be carried forward into probably many future Civ titles. And then similarly with Civ Six, with all the climate change stuff and the, the disasters things, which, you know, probably some of that will make it into future titles as well. Uh, like, what did we miss out by not getting a second expansion to be on Earth? Yeah, it is possible that they were never planning a second expansion, but it, possibly. Need, it, it could be possible they weren't even planning a first expansion, but the game sold just well enough that they did it anyway. It really needed a second expansion to be as good as Civ Five. Yeah, but I agree. The art and the music in in Beyond Earth are phenomenal. It's true. It was always very pretty. That that music, yeah. The I mean, all the all the hours I didn't play, I did enjoy that part of it so much. The mood when you are first settling and the whole world is strange and there's creatures out there everywhere, that has a very different feeling to me than the beginning of a Civ game, like a Civ a historical Civ game, and. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but it was playing that in, in Beyond Earth felt very different. I guess maybe because you knew it was a different planet and some of the time you were on a fungal world that just looked really funky. And there's also a vibe to when you're getting close to the end game and the music's changing and you're starting to build these super advanced tech units and you're either doing something uh, like when you're setting up the portal because you're going to go back to Earth and you have all these units lined up around the portal and you're just waiting before you go through and things like that. and there's yeah, there's a great feel to that. Assuming there was any degree of tech parity, uh, and so you're actually getting, you know, 
competition from the AIs. Because one of the big mm -hmm. problems with Beyond Earth was because the tech tree was nonlinear, it was much harder for the game to delineate clear early game, mid game, late game stages because players could be in all sorts of different places on the tech tree. And, you know, it was quite common in that game for one player to actually be in the end game, like potentially researching victory technologies and, and stuff like that. And everyone else is like still kind of just entering the mid game. There did kind of need to be a, a, uh, level of skill parity for it to work the way it should but i That's definitely I think, think it was so. a good game because yeah, the, but... the best of the best in civ 4 could have tanks by like you know 1100 ad and uh, that was even faster than ai despite that civ 4 has the largest bonuses given to the ai by a margin well and it's not even just a matter of having the most techs it's also an issue of just being able to gauge where the other players are because you can't look at the other players tech trees to see what they've researched and how far along they are. Now, maybe if Civ, if Beyond Earth had more of like the graphical stuff that Civ Six has, where more of the infrastructure is like on the map, you would get a better feel for how advanced the other, you know, Civs were. But as it stands now, like it's just it's really hard to tell. Well, how do I compare to these other Civs because of the fact that the tech tree is nonlinear and the units go off in completely different directions and and all that stuff? Like it's been so long since I played now, but I I had some impression of that while I was playing, and now I don't remember how I got that impression. Um, the a lot of the things that you built in high tech did appear on the map. Like the important game winning things were on the map, right? Um, and the unit quality was a big uh, tell as well. Yeah, which units the the enemy had and what their um, what upgrades they had taken. I believe they were different based on what you what you chose. Yeah, I mean purity, harmony, and supremacy all had different stuff, but they also within those three had progressions. And you know what your opponent is fielding within those progressions would give you some idea of where they are as well. Yeah, but there was also the difference between like kind of going for more advanced techs, but remember Beyond Earth also had the thing where you can like dive deeper into the earlier techs. So you could also have civs that were that were really fully developing all of the lower level techs as opposed to going immediately for the later level techs. And that's also something where it's like, how do you compare, you know, relative strength or closeness to victory, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, you, you have some tells in all the games. I don't think Beyond Earth was that much less than, like, Civ Six, Because you can't just, like, go into a Civ Six AI's tech tree and see where they are, either. You can infer based on things you observe on the map, but that was true in Beyond Earth the, as well. The Civ Six tech tree and Civic tree also have those little icons on the scroll bar that show you what era of technology each civilization uh, is in. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, so you you can see that, and then in Civ Four, like you had the outright tech trading, where you could literally just go to the trade screen and see if that other Civ has any technologies that you don't. And then both Civ Five and Civ Six also have the um the the trade routes have the tech bleeding stuff, where if you send a trade route, you get a you know number of beakers that are equal to however many technologies the other Civ has that you don't have. So that also gives you a gauge of the other Civ potentially being more advanced, while also providing a little bit of a uh, dynamic catch up, you know, sort of rubber banding mechanic that lets those lower level Civs catch up in a way that doesn't feel like explicit cheating rubber banding but something that's like within the game rules and that makes logical sense yeah since they don't have to let you trade with them <laughs> 
Well, for trade routes, they, they kind of do, unless they declare war on you to end well, the trade Well, yeah, routes, but that's but an option. And if you're way behind them on tech, what are you going to say if they declare war on you to prevent you from trading with them? What are you going to do about it? You're going to go there and stop it? Well, you're clearly, you're just going to field some spearmen to kill all their tanks, and it's, it'll be fine. Yes. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that. Especially in the, in the era of Civ where hit points are a thing. Good luck with that. Oh, boy. <laughs> ah, yes. Now you're reminding me of another ish moment in one of the Civ 6 games. Oh, boy. <laughs> where Ruben attacked me. Yeah, but he, he didn't know what was going on yet. It was funny, though. <laughs> yes, it was. All right, are we out of topics? I think we're out of topics. Yeah, I, I think we have one that we're going to postpone so we can do proper justice to the depth implied. Pretty big topic. So that, will, that will take us to the end. So uh, thank you, everyone listening, for joining us as we reach 40% of our journey to 1,000 episodes. Oh, no. As always, ah. it's been me and team. And joining me today, we're Canis Alvinus. Can uh, we not say we're going to a thousand? Can we just get there organically? I'll show you organically. Makalua? I think that counts as harmony if you're going to show him organically. Also, play old Civ games. They're still cool. And Mega Bears, man. Let's start with episode 401 before we start talking about episode 1000. <laughs> Maybe if we go to a weekly format. Ha ha ha. Not going to happen. <laughs> no. Supremacy all the way. So thank you to everybody who has listened to us for all these years. Hopefully we'll keep going. I don't see us stopping anytime soon. Um, maybe we will move to a more monthly format until there's another game announcement if we run out of topics. But thus far, we don't seem to be running out of topics. So all's fair in love and war. Is that the right thing to say? All's fair in love and Civ? That makes war better sense. Hey, that'll be our topic. Or that'll be our episode title. <laughs> Quote, now bend over, dash cannons. No. <laughs> That's dash the me and team. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we've already had an episode with that title, but it doesn't matter because it was a it was at least a hundred episodes ago, so nobody will notice. <laughs> it's not I don't like think we've had now bend over as an episode title. It's not like the title <laughs> of the episode is the actual private key. Or um what what's the name? Shoot. I'm showing my lack of primary use of key. primary key. That's it. All right. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.